Hey, welcome to the Michaud Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing our to get our giddy up on and bring you the best <laughs> in black westerns, all part of our Black History Month celebration. And tonight we have stopped into 1975 for Vincent's selection on this stop on the mission where we review comic actor Richard Pryor joined with writer, producer, director, lead star Fred Williamson in Adios Amigos. Adios Amigo. Adios Did you hear the song Amigos. Did you hear the song enough? Did they play the song enough for your liking, Lynn? We're going to talk about that <laughs> and so much more when we get to our review of this film today. But as always, first, we'd like to thank each and every one of you out there who is watching us, streaming live and direct on Facebook as well as on Instagram. Shout out to Robert Monroe Jr., Aaron Fry, Deborah Battle, and everyone else out there. Hello, each and every one of you. Hope you are all Good evening. safe and well. Good evening, folks. Good to see you. Vincent, how are you doing, my friend? I am fine. I am just fine. And and yourself? I cannot complain. Not at all. Excellent. So Excellent. I won't. Um, but I thought that we it's been a while since we took a trek through the Facebook group where a lot of mm. our missionaries get together to chit chat with one another about different things, about movie and entertainment related. So I thought we'd we'd start off the show with looking at that. And it's interesting, Vince, because just this week, a matter of fact, just yesterday. I sat down and watched a documentary on Netflix that I have been waiting to watch for um, quite some time. The Two Killings of Sam Cooke. Okay. All right. Told, Excellent. To, Excellent. Told about the, like, more or less the biography and the unfortunate uh, tragic uh, murder of Sam Cooke that happened in the, um, in the 60s, in the 1964 yeah, yeah, 1964. That's right. Right. Have you seen this documentary, Vince? I have. I have, and I am. I'm a bit familiar with the story as well. So yes, yes. Yeah. I'm glad you watched it. Yeah. It was. It was. As I go ahead, I'll let you. Yeah. No, I'm just going to say it was a very interesting documentary as it it spells out Sam Cooke's life, and if you're and if especially if you're in a more like you know 21st century audiences may be more readily or more um recently familiar with Sam Cooke uh as mm -hmm. the the he was a character in the film One Night in Miami which to talked about you know a night when Sam Cooke sat with his friends Malcolm X Cassius Clay soon to be Muhammad Ali and James Brown for one night in a hotel in Miami. Jim right? Brown. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. You're right. Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Jim right. Brown. Um and it is uh and it and that is actually a night that is alluded to in this documentary. Um mm -hmm. as well as the documentary gives a lot more insight to the man that Sam Cook was 
at this time. That movie alludes to Sam kind of like maybe losing his audience a little bit, maybe losing touch with uh, Black America and then finding his way back with the release of uh, Change is Gonna Come. Yet the documentary says that from the beginning, Sam Cooke was decidedly his very own his own man and very much in tune uh, with what was happening in the um, black community and was always what was going on there was always for you know foremost on his mind. So I thought that that painted mm-hmm. a very different picture of Sam Cooke. What were your takeaways from that documentary, Vincent? I mean, the, the same thing. I I I. You have to forgive me. I haven't seen the documentary in probably a year or two, and I get mixed up what was from where, what sort, what is from what. For, but as as we've spoken about previously, and when we talked about one night in Miami, I think what separates Sam Cooke from a lot of artists during that time, and frankly, even in modern times, is how focused he was as an artist mm-hmm. on the business end. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think certainly when we talk about someone like Barry Gordy, we think about him as a businessman. But there are very few artists that we think of who have that same focus on their business as they do their art. Yeah. And Sam Cooke was one of the fairly early artists fairly early examples of a black artist who right. was was cognizant and 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 vocal because that was the other thing about Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke would talk to other artists mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. things like owning your masters, having your own studio, songwriting credits mm-hmm. at a time when this was was unheard of. Right. Yeah. At a time that this was unheard of. So that is is frankly the part that I remember from the documentary and and from various things that I've read that come out the most to yeah. me. The or, shame, or the, rather the part, the shame of it is, is that as as attuned as he was to the business side of it, it didn't stop him from getting ripped off. You know, at the end, that's the shame right. of it. Well, but even that, like, like I think there are all these forces in play. Mm-hmm. And and I think the other thing that I really am fascinated by Sam Cooke in particular is something that that you kind of talked to this this sentiment of of your audience mm-hmm. and and your black audience and 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 you know the the streets versus the crossover and and Sam Cooke is this wonderful example of this phenomenon because Sam Cooke was famous before he was secular right right because he was a, he was this soul amazing gospel artist with the soulsters and and even that transition from the soulsters into quote unquote pop music mm-hmm. was not without difficulty and how all of that worked and and how he kind of navigates it I always say it, the the two sides of sam cook they talk about they allude to it in in uh, one night in Miami where he wanted to play the Copa, mm-hmm. you know the Copa Cabana. Everybody talks about the Copa Cabana, and if you listen to that album, that live recording, Sam Cooke live at the Copa, 
it is crisp. It is just sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, polished. And the artistry comes through, but then you compare it to something like Sam Cooke live at... In Harlem. I forget... I, I think it's like Harlem Square or... Yeah, Harlem Square. Or, or Harlem Square. It yeah, came out it, in 85. Yeah, live at, yeah, which is this whole different dynamic with mm-hmm. the audience. Mm-hmm. Both of them completely authentic. Both of them amazing albums. But you get these two sides of Sam Cooke. Right, right. And and then, as I've mentioned, I'm not... I'm not really a a, a conspiracy theorist. Like not real. Like I really am. Oftentimes, the easiest, the the easiest explanation is the one that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. But as everybody is watching Judas and the Black Messiah, and there's a whole new generation figuring out that COINTELPRO existed. <laughs> Sam Cooke's murder has always been one that made my spidey sense go off a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. of how aware he was of the business side of things. Right. And the implications of that as a black audience, as someone who, one of my favorite lines in the movie, Sam Cooke is the only one who's not waiting for a check from a white man. That's right. That's right. So it's, it's a great documentary. I'm a big fan of Sam Cooke. I'm a huge fan of Sam Cooke's music. I'm glad you watched it. It's interesting that I did watch it. And then I turned into the Facebook group today. And one of the lead <laughs> stories on there is about someone who, if you, if this is to believe, is uh, it's very um, interesting that he's not a part of the Sam Cooke documentary. And that, and will then be, there's Bobby Womack. There's Bobby Womack. <laughs> for, for for those who do not know, ladies and gentlemen, because I certainly did not know this, and thank you to Michael Troutman. Who, um, well, Ryan Smallwood actually posted this to the Facebook group, but this is a post from a Michael Troutman. It says that Bobby Womack, quote, the most disrespectful man in black history. Not black music, black history. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you got to think about how many, how many people you've got to leap over. To become the yeah. most disrespectful man in black history for it to be Bobby Womack. Now, Bobby Womack, who is more famously known, what's his most famous song, Vincent? Uh, uh, if you think you're lonely now, it's probably his most famous song. Right. Well, if you think Wait you're lonely. Lo- tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, he obviously meant it. Because Bobby Womack, who apparently his best friend was Sam Cooke. Now, we don't know whether or not Sam Cooke considered him his best friend, but he considered Sam Cooke his best friend. So much so that he slept with Sam Cooke's wife, showed up to Sam Cooke's funeral wearing Sam Cooke's suit, married Sam Cooke's wife, then cheated on her with Sam Cooke's daughter. And and as many people have pointed out, by cheating on him with Sam Cooke's daughter, it was a case of statutory rape. Yes. Yes. So. So... Bobby Womack, he may rightfully be the most disrespectful man it, in Black history. It, it is, it is a, it is a terrible story. The only wrinkle that you kind of add to it is that Sam Cooke's widow 
was 10 years older than Bobby Womack mm-hmm. when they got together. Like mm-hmm. Bobby Womack was 20 years old. And the most apologist explanation I've ever heard, which kind of coincides with my conspiracy theory a little bit, is that Sam Cook's widow reached out to Bobby Womack almost as protection. Right. Right. Now, look, these I, that's that's one explanation, but but Sam Cook, I mean, Bobby Womack did marry Sam Cook's widow, and then eventually Bobby Womack was was involved with Sam Cook's 17-year-old daughter. Yeah. Now those are the facts. Those are the facts. What you do with those facts are, but look, man. <laughs> Get some Sam Cook music. <laughs> uh, look. Look, get some Bobby Womack. I mean, that's good music. So, yeah. Yeah, these... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Okay. All right. Bobby Womack was not a cool dude. He's not a cool dude. Not a cool dude. He was not a cool dude. Yeah. Don't say... I don't don't even see it. I mean, because if you look at Bobby Womack, I'm like, Bobby Womack? Like... Come on, man. Stop. I'm just saying. Stop. I'm saying... I'm just saying. But uh, whatever. You mentioned between Judas. Between the voice and just being a dude. Well, that's come true. Come on, stop. That's true. You know what? You got me there. You got me there. Right. You got me there. All right. So, um, but you mentioned Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, yes. Which was released this past Friday uh, yes. in theaters where available and also streaming on HBO Max. What Did, did you get a chance to check it out? I have not seen it, and in full disclosure, I don't know when I'm going to watch it because that Fred Hampton story is one that takes a lot out of me, mm. just generally. Yeah. So I don't know when I'm going to get around to seeing it. I, I've I've heard nothing but wonderful things about it, though, and considering the cast, I'm not surprised. But did yeah, you watch it? I did watch the film, um, and. Not since I watched Rosewood have I watched the film and been made so angry. Yeah. At white people. <laughs> like, I, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some hate to go around in this movie. Yeah. But man i mean certainly the government certainly the certainly. united states government. yeah 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 this um it's a good movie it's uh i think it's very well done it's it's um very very well acted you talked about the the cast of the film uh judas and the black messiah which stars uh lakeith stansfield as well as uh daniel kalua who stars at uh fred hampton uh, the chairman of the, Illinois, the Chicago, Illinois chapter of the Black Panther. Uh, this movie is about his portrayal back in the late 60s. And this movie, it's it's got um, Jesse Plemons in here, who was definitely very, like, just, like, eerie as hell in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. A almost unrecognizable Martin Sheen. Uh Algie Smith, Dominique Fishback is in this film as well. Um, it's it's really a, ve- a very powerful uh, 
cast a powerful film. You want to be you want to be even angrier? Can I throw a little gasoline on the fire? Oh, what are you going to do? The one critique that I read was about Daniel Kaluuya's casting because Daniel Kaluuya is 31 years old. Right. And and Fred, Fred Hampton was 20 years old. He was 21 when he was when he was uh Yeah, yeah, he was 21 years old. He was a kid. Right. Right. They went in there and they murdered that man in his bed in front of his infant child and he was a kid. And he was 21 himself. Well, he the United States government. Yeah, it wasn't even in front of his his child hadn't been born yet. Right. I'm sorry. Right, right. right. She was his, still pregnant. His wife, right. His wife was there. Right. Yeah. 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 This is not a conspiracy. This is not allegedly. These are all undisputed facts. Undisputed facts. Undisputed facts. Um, and this movie is about, it's about what happened to Fred Hampton, but it's also about the betrayal that um, he was he was victim to as well. You, you really got to see the film if you don't know the movie. If you don't know the story, I don't want to give it a, give it away. Um, that much because um, it, it is still very powerful um, yeah a good film a very good film very yeah. good film meanwhile the United States government just a year ago was infiltrating and investigating the Black Lives Movement and and talking about they were a terrorist threat and the Proud Boys and all of them they were just good patriots and well there you go the more things change <laughs> yeah what a different an administration makes um, I mean I guess We'll see. We should probably move on. <laughs> we will move on. Bougie Square Society asked a question to us, Vince. He wants to know, have we reviewed Why I Got Married 2? We have not reviewed the sequel to Why Did I Get Married, which is Why Did I Get Married 2. And I believe it's T-O-O, isn't it? It is T-O-O. Because it's another person trying to figure out why did they get married. Why the hell did they get married? Uh, Bougie Square Society says, I watched it the other day and it's so terrible that I need some comedic relief. Is have you seen it? Yeah, I did. I have seen that movie. It's a wild movie. It's, I do remember <laughs> it being, it's a wild movie. Wild. I do remember. Like it's it not wild. acrimony or temptation level. No, it's but not. Why did I get married too? Is pretty buck wild. It, yeah, yeah. I do remember. I remember it being a little buck wild. I remember it being a little long, if I remember correctly. And then the Rock shows up at the end. Yeah, yeah. And they gave him a UPS uniform, and the Rock said, "This one fits just right." Do you have one that's two sizes smaller? <laughs> and where's the baby oil? Right before the line dance. I think that is what happened and uh, why I got married, too. There you go. Um, I know you're a fan of the actress of Ruth Nega, Vince. I am. I am. Did you see that she is going to be starring I... in a limited series based on the life of one Josephine Baker? I did, and I am maybe looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that as well. I think I'm looking forward to that. I uh she um she was in passing that that people see people saw passing in at uh Sundance, which why how come we ain't get some Sundance stuff? Let's go ahead and put that out there. They're like we should have got some Sundance stuff. Um anyway, I'm waiting for passing to show up. Yeah, she uh she she is um starring in <clears throat> 
It's going to be called Josephine. She's also the executive producer on the project that is going to be um, overseen as the showrunner by D. Harris Lawrence, mm -hmm. uh, a black woman. It's going to be a produced by Millicent Sheldon, LeBron James, and uh, LeBron James and Maverick Carter's Spring Hill Company. Um, as part of their overall deal with AB, ABC. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in it. She actually is an actress who I've, I've enjoyed. I enjoyed her. In, um, she was good on uh, Preacher that was on AMC. Yeah, she was, she was the best thing on Preacher. Yeah, yeah. And she was also, did you see the film Loving? I did not. She's, she's good in Loving. Loving she's is, good in Loving? Hmm? Loving. Oh no! I was saying she's good. Loving. Oh. She's good in loving. Oh yeah, she's very good in loving. And and loving's mm -hmm. a, a, a sweet story. It's a sweet. Well, it's a mm -hmm. it's a bit of a a, a tear jerker, tear drinker, but it's it's a sweet story. Um, I'm very interested in the 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 post from it was posted in the debt in Deadline on 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 their website about her casting, and it showed her picture side by side with Josephine Baker, and you can see that there definitely is a resemblance between the two. Yeah, she looks like her a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward. I'm definitely, definitely looking forward to that. That that, that promises to be something really strong. That yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for that. Uh, speaking of the industry darlings, this is something that came out last year, I think, or the year before last, and it kind of slipped through. Me and the wife watched Sela in the Spades the other night. Oh, oh, oh! Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's that movie about? Tell me real quick. It's about a boarding school. Mm. It's about a boarding school, but it's it centers around a little sister who is like the head of one of the, you know, it's it's boarding school stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like factions and houses and she's the head of one of them. Okay. 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 And, and it's her sort of, and it is played by an actress that I have mentioned in passing. Let me just pull her name Molly. And that would be the young actress Lovey Simone. Okay. Lovey Simone, who played a she played a part in Greenleaf. Oh remember okay. my guilty pleasure, mm. Greenleaf, but <laughs> absolutely pops in the whole like 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 she really was besides Keith David and um Oh my god, I just Lynn forgot Whitfield. um Lynn Whitfield. Like, you expect Keith David and Lynn Whitfield, but she's like the daughter. She was like the daughter of one of the of one of the, the couples. Mm -hmm. And she popped immediately. And it was like, oh, that little sister can act. Okay. Okay. And she was the star, and she was very good. She was very good. Um, uh, Jarrell Jerome is in it, who was so good in... Um, Oh, I just forgot Ava DuVernay's documentary about the Central Park Five. What was the name of was it called? The, the uh, when Five? they see us, when they see us, he was so good in that. He's fantastic in it. Jesse Williams shows up for a minute. Okay, if you've ever wanted to see Gina Torres peel an apple and tell the fable of the scorpion and the frog, which is something until this moment you didn't realize you, you wanted to see. see. But Gina Davis peeling an apple. Gina Torres. I mean, uh, Gina Torres peeling an apple and telling the fable of the scorpion and the frog. 
is as amazing as you think it is. Okay. All right. So I'm a big so so yeah. Seal in the space. Seal in the space. I have to check that. I have to check that out. Yeah. Support Black Podcast. Greg Hill presents Minority Trailblazer, the podcast dedicated to minorities who are blazing a trail in a variety of industries such as education, business, comedy, entrepreneurship, and more. Greg's goal is to share their stories in hopes to inspire, educate, and ultimately encourage others to live with purpose and passion. Check out Minority Trailblazer, available on gregehill.com, as well as on SoundCloud and every place that you find good podcasts. Remember, support Black Podcasts. Thank we you. did not mention that Mary Wilson passed last week, so we should probably acknowledge that. Mary, oh yeah, that's right. We didn't acknowledge Mary Wilson's passing, and Chick Corea passed this week. Yeah, yeah, for all you uh, music heads. Yeah, Chick Corea. Right, right. So, so I did want to talk about both of them at least briefly, like mention them. So, well done, well done. Thank you, thank you, because I mm-hmm. I did not have have that in my listing, so I appreciate you. Hey, it's a fast moving show. Um, one last thing. I was very happy to see that, at least according to the Nielsen's Nielsen ratings, that the Equalizer starring Queen Latifah opened mm. strong in its premiere after the recent Super Bowl. And nice. I th- and I think it is still keeping up strong ratings in the weeks since. So nice. Have you seen it? No. Did you watch it? No. Okay. Have you? No, no, no. And I, and I meant to. I actually meant to. I, it just, you know, time. I'll be honest. It does not look like, it doesn't look like it's my, it's not my cup of tea. It's just, sure. it, it's not my cup of tea. Like, like, see, it's on CBS. CBS is primarily known for their procedurals, right? Mm-hmm. Which is right. why, to me, like a show like All Rise sticks out because it's one hour long on CBS and it's not a procedural. So this right. it, it's like it's it sticks out. It sticked its own lane on there. The equalizer with Queen Latifah, much love to 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 the Queen, just looks like another one of their procedurals. And, look, and it just does not look. But I ain't mad at her. I ain't mad at her. Make cut that look, check. Man, and I'm about to say CBS makes very traditional fare. But speaking of that schism between Sam Cook in the art, in the commerce. Mm-hmm. I love when my people get CBS shows. That's true. Because you could, because you could, I, 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 I literally said it last night. We were looking at a rerun of All Rise. You can tell All Rise is settling in. All Rise will be on for like eight years. Mm. Like it'll just be on. That's true. It'll just be on. And I love it. That's true. Uh, so Shamar Moore, Simone Missick, Queen Latifah, uh, 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 that that Cedric the Entertainer show that I've never seen one episode oh, of. Oh, The Neighborhood? Oh. That's been on like three or four years. <laughs> Make that money! Make that money, black people. 
Get them CBS shows. Is the neighborhood on CBS? Is that a CBS show? Yeah, yes. Oh, well, there you All go. All white people will watch CBS shows <laughs> from now on. That's true. You got that right. You, you, you. Are... Boy, these shows like you, like, <laughs> like you flip by and it'll say like CSI something, and it's like, does that say like the seventeenth season? Is that know, a typo? No, right, right. Can that really be seventeen years? <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, that's the that's the spinoff. The, the spinoff, spin-off right? <laughs> the spinoff. CSI one two three, <laughs> as you've never seen it, <laughs> for the thirty second season premiere. <laughs> we push the boundary. Look, man. <laughs> I love it. You know I love it. I'm the, right, Cedric the Entertainer. I'm so happy for him. God bless him. You're right. You're right. So, so I hope the Equalizer stay on for like twelve years. <laughs> you already tell it's a little girl in it. She gonna grow up and be little Equalizer. <laughs> you, you see in the chat, Sharon Eldridge named it the Latifalizer. <laughs> Look, I'm all for it. You know what? This isn't CBS, but it was the same type of thing. Somehow I fell down a rabbit hole reading about Family Matters. Mm, Really? Which I think I watched two episodes my entire life. Really? Really? But same thing. Look, black people got jobs, good steady jobs. I read like the last season, the the the, the synopses, mm-hmm. and in the last season, Eddie, the Theo character, he was a policeman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's how long Family Matters was on. <laughs> so yeah. I, look, that's make real. that money, black people. Yes, that is get real. one of them CBS shows. That's real. That's real. So, very happy for Queen. Very happy for the Queen. So am I. So am I. So am I. You know, hey, it's not for me, but God bless you. Make that, make that cheddar, baby. Make it. Make, make it all. Make that money. Make it make all. Make that money. Make it all. Yes. God bless you. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen. It is time. I put it off as long as I can. It is time for <laughs> us to get into our review of Vince's Selection. It absolutely was. This is it Vince's, absolutely was my selection. This is Vince's choice. This was 100% my choice. So for, yes. so for all of you out there that watch the Michelle Mission movies along with us, look at that guy right there. This is okay. his choice. It's his fault that we are about to review 1975's look. Adios Amigos. Adios, amigos. Adios. It is catchy, though. (laughs) It is a catchy song. It's a catchy song. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. man with a big future. There ain't one chain gonna stand in my way. (laughs) 
Oui, senhor. Not to be here. Because he's a criminal, that's why. You watch out with that thing. I told you don't make him mad. He'll kill you for sure. Uh-oh. Watch out, everybody. Back off. Big Ben's mad. I is the robber, and you is the robby. Do you have any last words before we kill you, senor? Help. Figure you owe me some money for the horses. You should wait and see. Adios, amigo. <laughs> Adios Amigos, 1975 American comedy western, written, produced, directed by Fred Williamson, who also stars in the lead role. The film co-stars Richard Richard Pryor as well. A frontier con man, Richard Pryor, tries scams that never work, leaving his partner, Fred Williamson, behind to explain. Adios Amigos, which also also stars James Brown as a sheriff, Robert Phillips, and Mike Henry as Mary's husband, though Mary doesn't get a credit here. It was Vince's selection for this stop on the Michelle mission. Vincent, what have you to say of Adios Amigos? Well, before I begin, I think it's also worth pointing out that Thomas Rosella Mm. is in it for an extended scene yes so arguably one of the better scenes in a film that does not have a lot of good scenes so there's that Mm. i think i have three takeaways from this film Uh (laughs) aha like just just skip to the end these are my three takeaways okay first i completely understand why this film has faded into obscurity Mm. it's not a good film and neither of its stars Richard Pryor nor Fred Williamson are proud of this film Mm -hmm. so the quality of the film as well as benign disinterest from the stars speaks to why this film has faded two in contrast you can un- you can start to make your case for an answer to our question from last week. Why do people ho- hold Thomasine and Bushrod in such high regards? Right. Because for those of you keeping track, and, and we're going to just keep going throughout the years, if you count Blazing Saddles as a black film, which for the sake of argument, we will, although I think many would say as a crossover film, and 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 a Mel Brooks film, people don't often talk about it as a black film, right? As a black film, and certainly not part of the quote unquote black exploitation era. Era. Mm-hmm. Bushrod and Thomasine may be the second best black cowboy film from the seventies, mm-hmm. right after Buck and the Preacher. Mm-hmm. Third, and this speaks to my second point a little bit. This is an example of a film that we have run into periodically that makes me appreciate Dolomite. Hmm. And Welcome Home, Brother Charles. 
and dare I say it, the Tyler Perry films that we've watched. Okay, okay. Because it ain't it, it, it ain't that easy, is it? <laughs> Very true. It ain't that easy to make a movie. Very true. Just on the basic level of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It ain't that easy. Like, I thought about Dolomite immediately in the first scene where where everything is out of focus and the scene just sort of dribbles out Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. nobody's paying attention anymore. And I actually wrote in my notes, because he's his co-star in the other two cowboy movies that um, Fred Williamson made a couple of years prior to this, why didn't he call Derville Martin to direct this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is a film that neither of the principals was that interested in making. No. As a film. No. This was a film that both of them made to prove a point mm-hmm. slash out of spite. Mm-hmm. Fred Williamson, well, you, you should probably start with Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor felt some kind of way about his experience with Blazing Saddles, which he helped write, and depending on who you talk to, either didn't get the part, didn't go out for the part, there was some type of schedule. Like, I've heard two or three different reasons why Cleavon Little got the lead as opposed to Richard Pryor. Right. But the bottom line is Richard Pryor did not star in Blazing Saddles. Right. And he had a little bit of an attitude about it. Right. Along those same lines, Fred Williamson, who famously takes himself and this genre very seriously. Very seriously. Did not like Blazing Saddles. Thought it was silly. Because he said it was silly. Yes. And frivolous. So the both of them, with a bit of a chip on their shoulder, mm-hmm. basically said, well, we can do better than that. Mm-hmm. But making a film takes more than just you not liking something else. Right. You have to commit to the actual craft of making the film. And this is a movie that I think the very first scene is a microcosm of every problem with Adios Amigo. Again, the film starts standard Western town. There are some white tufts. Mm-hmm. In the midst of some type of hullabaloo, for the record, the action is out of focus. Yes. And it's not centered. No. Everything is sort of on the side. Yes. And that's because that's where the camera is. Because the camera doesn't move. The the camera doesn't move. (laughs) Fred Williamson's character, Big Ben, somehow gets caught up in this hullabaloo. And at one point, one of the white hooligans hits him with, it looks like, some flour. Mm-hmm. And then he says, oh, now you look like one of us. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Fred Williamson's character goes and gets almost like a chimney. Yes. Hits the white man with the chimney. Black coal powder goes on, type of, on, on the face of the white man. You wait for Fred Williamson to respond with the joke. Right. Well, now you look like me. 
But Fred Williamson is so uninterested <laughs> in the scene and so uninterested in a script. That's, that's what it is. The joke never actually comes. And this is the first of over a dozen, and I hesitate to call them scenes. Because a scene implies that it is part of a whole. Mm-hmm. A whole, a whole narrative, scene, right. Second scene, third scene, the third scene comes between the second scene and the fourth scene. Right. They're not even sketches no. of scenes. You have these characters and and Richard Pryor's character, as it says in here, is a con man who kind of runs these cons Oftentimes, Big Ben is the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take this money. Big Ben's gonna gonna um pay you back. I'm gonna bet on Big Ben fighting this guy. Big Ben doesn't know he's gonna get into a fight. Then he gets into a fight. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna steal a horse. I I steal the, and and they all just kind of peter out. Yes, and go from scene to scene. scene. And it is, it is, it is terrible. Mm. It is, it, this, this is a terrible, and I hesitate to call it a movie. And I think what really kind of bothers me is that when you read about this film, Fred Williams says, look, I only had 12 pages of a script. Like he didn't even really have a script. He, he said, I got 12 pages. That's not a script. That's an outline. And the plan was that I would allow Richard Pryor to in, in, imp, um, improvise. Mm-hmm. And then that would fill it in. Mm-hmm. And that was his entire plan. And the thing is, there, if you, I don't even know if you squint. <laughs> if you kind of, like I mentioned, there, there's this extended sequence where he and Thalmus Rosella are playing cards and Thomas Rosella has two beautiful daughters, of course. And you see where it's going. But the, I don't know what Thomas Rosella was. I don't know if Thomas Rosella was drunk or high, but he seemed to be having a really good time with that wig. Yeah, yeah, he's got a weird outfit on. Yeah. And and the weird and he's doing like this weird accent and he's having a ball. And I, you know, I assume Thomas Rosella and Richard Pryor know each other. Mm-hmm. Just because they they ran in the same circles, and for the five minutes that the two of them were playing cards, I said, "All right, mm. all right." You were squinting real I, hard, Vince. I was. I was squinting. Look, <laughs> you were squinting real is, hard, man. This is a dog of a film. This is a dog <laughs> of a film. You were squinting real hard, man. If you saw something in that scene, there's a conceit where they use sketches mm-hmm. to, I don't even want to use the word transition between scenes. Yeah. And I don't want to use the word art, <laughs> but you kind of see what they're going for. Yes. Yeah. Like you kind of see, you know, it's low budget and we've talked about low budget films and we've talked about the strategies that these low budget filmmakers use. Mm-hmm. Uh, here you go, Lynn. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? You ready, Lynn? Mm-hmm. It reminded me a bit of how within our gates, ah. Oscar Michaud reused footage. Yes. To show flashbacks. <laughs> yes. 
And I did. I, I did my chin. <laughs> and I said, ah, if Fred Williamson utilized Oscar Michelle's strategy of reusing and reutilizing footage mm-hmm. and the spirit of that you see through the sketches, ah, but not really. No. <laughs> so that I just, I don't even know where, where to end my part. Like I'll just sort of drift off like all of the scenes do. I'll just sort of drift off mm-hmm. and let you talk and let you go ahead. And I mean, I present to you <laughs> exhibit a, this film came out in 1975, correct, Vince? Yes, it did. Now, December 25th. It was a Christmas present okay. to the people. So it came out in December of 19, 1975. As you mentioned, this film um, was written by Fred Williamson. He wrote a script that is 12 pages long. Now, just just as a point of reference for those who may not be who may not know this. The rule of thumb in the biz- in the movie game is that each page of a script represents about a minute's time of film. So a film that is an hour and a half, the script should be how long, Lynn? About 90 pages. Okay. Right? Right. This film which clocks in at an hour and 47 minutes. <laughs> the script is 12 pages. You said that you're waiting for the joke. The joke ain't there <laughs> because there's no script. You said the, the film opens up because these people are just meandering into a scene because there's no script that tells them where to go there is nothing there you say that he left room for Richard Pryor the comic actor of the time to just be freelance and improvise as much as he wanted to now if you want to believe that Richard Pryor is is improvising throughout this film which he seems like he is that's fair but then you also have to believe that in 1975 Richard Pryor is as has been alluded to as he has made admissions to in the midst of a, a intense cocaine habit a habit which as you alluded to some of the stories of why he didn't get cast uh, in Blazing Saddles, so, some stories say is the reason why he didn't get cast in Blazing Saddles because he was literally uninsurable for mm-hmm. the film. So if you believe that Richard Pryor, who doesn't look like he's at the, you know, at his fullest capacity at any time mm-hmm. throughout this film, is in the midst of a cocaine fever dream while he's filming this film? (laughs) Then the idea of him being able to improvise and fill out the rest of this movie kind of 
falls to the wayside. And, oh no, we've got a problem. But Fred Williamson is not concerned with that because not only has he only allotted 12 pages for the script, he's only allotted nine days to film the film. <laughs> and and I think they said it, three or four of those days were spent with Richard Pryor in the horse. Exactly. Because Richard Pryor couldn't ride a horse. Getting him to So they had to, to eat. It was all this time them figuring out Richard Pryor and the horse. Now, point of reference. The average 30-minute sitcom, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> takes five days to do their 30-minute episode, which is not even 30 minutes because it's really 22 minutes because it allow eight minutes for the commercials. That's five days of rehearsing, touching up the script, blocking, direction, and then filming. That's the average three-camera sitcom. This movie, which clocks in at an hour and 47 minutes and features a 12-page script, was filmed in nine days. Now, that makes absolutely no sense. But the most egregious sin of this film it's not by Richard Pryor, who probably just needed a check to fuel his to fuel his uh his habit, or was looking at this as some type of vanity project to get back at them, you know, not casting them in blazing saddle. Also doing a solid for his friend. Also maybe doing a solid they for are his friends. friend Fred Fred Williamson. Um somehow they wrote James Brown into this movie. Blinking you missed him, because I must have fell asleep because I didn't see him in there, but I'm not gonna say he's not in there. But, and then maybe it's not the same James Brown. I don't know. I, I was don't about care. to say, I don't think it's the same. I don't care. <laughs> also, also real quick, the average movie, if you know anything about credits, ladies and gentlemen, you know anything about credits, you'll watch a film and it'll say, starring Cary Grant, starring Catherine Hepburn, co-stars Jimmy Stewart, co-star Myrna Loy and then it will say introducing uh, Elizabeth Taylor because introducing indicates that this person who is going to be germane to the plot is their first time on film which is right. usually why that credit is, is used and is usually used for well, more often, one person in the cast, maybe two people in the cast, if they, if you have two people who's their first time to contribute something mightily for, to a movie. This film, Adios Amigos, says introducing, and I think there are eight names underneath <laughs> the credit. It says introducing <laughs> at least eight names. Are these names that you know? No, ladies and gentlemen. They've done nothing else since Adios Amigos. 
You know why? Because they don't do anything in Adios Amigos. Most of them don't even have a line. If they have a, at least Dolomite introduced Lady Reed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But even that, even that, ladies and gentlemen, is not the most egregious sin of Adios Amigos. And to to get you into the most egregious sin, I present for you Exhibit A through Z, the filmography of Fred (laughs) Williamson before 1975. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So before 1975, Fred Williamson starred in an episode of Ironside from 1968 as a detective. Right? Mm-hmm. Detective has a name. He actually is Detective Sergeant Lapierre, which means that he had at least one line in the episode. Okay? He would then go on to do an episode of The Outsider, an episode of the original series Star Trek, an episode of The Bold Ones, The Protectors, and another series from 1969. All of these, these shows are from 1969. He did three shows in 1969. All right? Then he stars in 1970 as Spear Trucker Jones in the original MASH movie. All right. Which he doesn't have a huge, huge role in the film, but he has lines. He would then go on to uh, be in Tell Me That You Love Me, Junie Moon, a movie from 1970. He then stars from 1969 to 1971 as Steve Bruce the boyfriend of Julia in That's the right. TV series Julia. Okay? So then he so now he's doing series work and he's not just doing episodes. He's on there for a couple of ser- couple of episodes and he's getting his acting chops. Fair enough. Then he will go on to do The Legend of Nigger Charlie, Hammer, which was his big movie in 1972, the movie that made him a star. Black Caesar in 1973. He returns to the Nigger Charlie franchise for the soul of Nigger Charlie in 1973. Hell Up in Harlem, where he is uh, Tommy Gibbs. That Man Bolt. All of these Mm -hmm. films in 1970. So he does five films in 1973, which means that he is on five movie sets in 1973. And in all of these films, he's the lead. He's the BMOC, big man on on film on campus there. In 1973, he also has recurring uh, does a couple of episodes of Police Story. He does a film in 1974. He does three films: Crazy Joe, Three Tough Guys, Black Eye, and then he ends that with Three the Hard Way, the infamous film that we. Uh, reviewed where he played Jagger Daniels. He would then do a, uh, a episode of the of the rookies on TV, Boss Nigger, and Bucktown, and mm-hmm. Take a Hard Ride, and Me and Johnny Barrows are all right. films that he does in 1975. The same film that he did in Adios Amigos. Now, doing those five films in 1975, one. Explains why he only had nine days to film Adios Amigos. Mm. So I'll give you that. But 
What it doesn't excuse, it does not excuse this man who has been on television sets, who has been on movie sets since 1968. I just spelled it out for you. It does not excuse how this man now taking it upon himself to write, produce, and direct a film does not know A, where to put the damn camera so that it <laughs> captures everything in, in the scene. B, if nothing else, where to put the camera so it catches you on the screen because as many times he's talking off screen or he is yeah. in complete shadow wearing yeah. black and you cannot see him there's a disembodied voice coming out of the shadow three does not know that when this film is done and it is edited together that my god we do not even have a competent looking movie i'm sorry we have seen films by first time Uh-oh. directors who mm-hmm. never have directed anything in, in their entire life. We have seen mm-hmm. films by people who have done nothing but be a writer or nothing but be an actor. But then when they get set down to to do to direct a film, they do a film. It may not be the greatest film. There may be some things that like uh, uh that you can tell this little uh, director doesn't know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, when it's all pieced together, it looks like a movie. It yes. looks like a competent piece of work. Maybe not the best movie ever, but it looks like a feature film. There are home movies <laughs> from the birth of film that look better than Adios Amigos. This yeah has absolute this is dude this is not the worst movie that we have reviewed it's not what's worse than this well i had it in my head oh that 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 the the only there's only two films that are no there's actually only one film that is worse than this what is it because i'm curious what you think is worse than this the new barbarians which Which, no, the new Barbarians has an actual narrative. I'm about to say, I'm about to say, I'm about to say, wait a minute, Vince. Okay. I'm about to say, I consider the new Barbarians a worse film than this, but I give the new Barbarians a pass, which surprisingly enough also stars Fred Williamson. But (laughs) noticing a pattern here, I give the, the, give the new Barbarians a pass because one, it's a foreign film that's been dubbed English. And so there maybe you're missing some of the sensibilities. So I'll give yes. it I'll give it that pass. Right, right. And then some two, of the subtleties of two, to your point, Italy. there is a decidedly a beginning, a middle, and an end to that film. I just think I think that overall, as it is made, it's it it just comes off to like just real stupid. But even as I'm saying that, Vince, the other pass I'm giving it is because it was chosen for 
Mother, Mother May, May I. I. So it was yeah. a movie that we knew was going to be bad. Yeah. So I'll yeah. give it that pass. And I will also, I cannot give Fred Williamson the pass because Fred Williamson should have known better. He knows better. Richard, and this is his Richard, money. Richard Pryor was this high. This is his money he put up. Richard Pryor was high. He said he needed the money. He didn't. He didn't know. He didn't care. Y'all gonna take three days to um, put me on a horse, and you're gonna pay me what amount of money? I don't care. I'm gonna do it. Everybody else, even the the 25 extras that got a credit as introducing into this film, they don't care. They're in a film. You know, all the extras that are running around when he walks into this old West town that looks like more like a the old West, you know, um, um, village at Disneyland. I swore there's somebody walking around with popcorn and, and a watch. They don't care. They're in, they're in the fucking movie. But Fred Williamson, that man should know better that when this is done, like dog, this, this don't, this is. I would be embarrassed to put my name on this film. Well, I think he is. Again, no, he's not. He's not. No, no, I mean now, <laughs> and, and and not soon. And no, I think almost immediately after it comes out, he all but disavows it. Okay, you might disavow the movie. However. That tells me that, all right, well, maybe you, you're, this is a learning experience, okay? Right. So, taking that into account, I looked up Fred Williamson and looked, well, did he learn? The next year, the following year, Fred Williamson writes, produces, and directs Death Journey. <laughs> I was just looking at Death Journey. I made a note of Death Journey for Mother May I. Oh, oh that's so funny you were talking about Death Journey. Uh, Death Journey, which had a sequel. Or I think it was a series. I don't know. I don't know how. Because it is Death Journey, and then it's No Way Back. And then... It's blind rage. All of them, he plays private investigator Jesse Crowder. Mm. Yeah, well, Death Journey is is a journey into the morgue, ladies and gentlemen. It's it's a, <laughs> but he's learned nothing, nothing, Vince, nothing. So he can say now, sure. Oh, I'm ashamed of it. But the fact is, is that he put this film out. And this is, he should be in, embarrassed from day one. This is a horrible waste of time. And you owe me an hour and 47 minutes. I, I Not at all. I owe you nothing. I owe you nothing. A film with Richard Pryor and Fred Williamson from 1975. We should know about it. Now, we can quibble about when we should have watched it, but this is very much something that's going to come up. And I'm going to do you one better. I think this is the worst movie that we've watched. Edged out very, very little by the um, $6,000 nigga. 
which Ooh. I thought was the worst film we had seen oh, I forgot. until this point. I, but again, another film with a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. With continuity. With characters that actually are consistent throughout. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because yeah, I think his, 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 his Fred Williams's character here, Big Ben, who I don't learn, I don't think I learned his name was Ben until like an hour into the movie. They never actually introduced themselves to each other. No, ever, ever in the film. But yet they, through osmosis, know each other's name. Um, yes, but you're you're meant to believe like he's kind of like a big bad tough guy in the in the in the in the beginning of the film and then the rest of the film he gets his ass kicked yeah he gets his ass kicked for the rest and let me tell you and there's a scene where he where he steps in he he walks in on these these white guys who stole his horses and he he walks in and he holds his gun at them and he shoots them now but why does he hold his gun sideways? He holds his gun like this as he, as he, and this is, ladies and gentlemen, and this is not, you know, this, this ain't boys in the hood. This ain't menace to society where, you know, the young boys, this is Fred Williamson, the cowboy holding his six shooter. Nobody holds a six shooter like this. Look, you can go down this road. I mean, it was distracting to me that Boy Scout hatchet that the man gave him to chop wood because <laughs> nobody could be bothered to go down to the hardware store and buy an actual axe. And we it only bothered and we only think he was chopping wood because you don't see the wood. You right. Just <laughs> the chain gang with the clearly plastic or fake chains that were bigger than their arms. The setups with all these, because uh, look, folks, this is the black exploitation. This is Fred Williamson. There are certain expectations, and it was just confusing how there are no less than five different setups with farmers' daughters, mayors' daughters, daughters they run into, women they run into, and and you think, okay, well, I guess this is this is the scene. This is the black exploitation love scene. Mm-hmm. And no one can even be bothered to go through with that. Like, this is a film that starts premise after premise and doesn't care enough to follow through on any of the premises. Nope. Nope. It's it it is it is it is amazing. You know, it is amazing how bad this film is. This may be you're right. You're right. This this may be the best, the worst movie that we've seen. Look, I keep count. I keep count. And again, I'm going to keep going back. Apparently, he and Durville Martin are friends. As we were just talking about the Jesse, um, oh, the Jesse, Jesse Crowder, Crowder films yeah. that he made three of. Durville Martin is in in at least one of them. Durville Martin is in two of the nigger Charlie movies, and he's in Boss Nigger. So he and Dervo Martin have a, a friendship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dolomite is not Moonlight. <laughs> but Dolomite works. 
That may be the first time that, and the only time that Dolomite and Moonlight will be in the same Dolomite sentence. and Moonlight are spoken <laughs> of in the same sentence. Dolomite and Moonlight. Now what I want to do, like I want to do, Moon, I want to uh, take Dolomite and dub in Moon? the um the score for <laughs> Moonlight. Hmm. <laughs> But but I I do think Fred Williamson and just to sort of bring it to current times, like the last time we really talked about Fred Williamson is that Fred Williamson was one of the loudest voices against Black Dynamite. Yeah, where he said Black Dynamite was disrespectful <laughs> to the films of the seventies, and but this has always been Fred Williamson's deal. <laughs> And he's my favorite black exploitation actor, but he takes himself way too seriously. Way too seriously. Way too seriously. And if- and I'm going to tell you why why he produced, wrote, and directed a film even after, as you said, all those years when he should have known better. Because Fred Williamson said, "I'm Fred Williamson. Why can't I?" I, I- nine days. Okay. Script, let me write up 12 pages. I'm Fred Williamson. I'll fill in the rest. Yeah. Well, well. He ain't. There's a reason why Fred Williamson, not long after the end of the black exploitation era, takes his talents overseas. And that's where his films, most of his films uh, output uh, was seen. Because. Yeah. Oh, man. And but, yeah. but the shame of it, it, the shame of it is, we talked about it. We talked about it in some of these films. He has a presence. He does. He just look, look. I talked about it with the with the Thomas Rusella scene. I don't think I'm going to leave room for Richard Pryor to improvise is a bad plan as a plan. (laughs) I do think you have to give Richard Pryor a bit more framework. You do. Yes. Than what you have here. Because I'm going to keep that scene with he and Thomas Rosella, where you can tell they're just riffing. Yes, because they don't. They're just riffing. But with, I mean, a fair amount of tweaking. Yeah. It could have worked. Mm. Well, put it this well, way. But, but, I, no, I think I'm talking about Derville Martin. If Rudy Ray Moore would have written the script to this, if Rudy Ray Moore would have brought the attention that he brought to Dolomite, to Adios Amigo, you got something. You give Richard Pryor the skeleton that you have from the human tornado or Petey Wheatstraw, the devil's son-in-law, and you throw Richard Pryor in there, you got something. Maybe so, but if in, in 1975, you if you tell me, okay, I got a movie that's going to be made by Dolomite and Dervell Martin, or I've got a movie that's going to be made by Fred Williamson and Richard Pryor, you're going to bet on Richard Pryor and Fred Williamson. Well, well, you should. But I think you're also assuming that someone wrote a script. 
Well, that's and someone can direct. Well, but no. If you told me, if you told me in 1975, Dolomite, Rudy Ray Moore is right writing, directing, and producing his own movie, or even or or he's written and is producing his own movie, and he roped his friend Dorval Martin to direct it, and over here. Fred Williamson is writing, producing, and he's going to direct the film, but he's roped in his friend Richard Pryor to co-star with him. You're still going to bet on Fred Williamson and Richard Pryor. And even if they both come out and don't make um, good films, you're going to at least think that the Fred Williamson film is going to feel much more like a complete actual motion picture than anything Rudy Ray Moore and Dervell Martin do. And that's not true. And the shame is not on Dolomite. The shame is on the ego and the audacity of Fred Williamson. And yes, yeah. Sharon Eldridge, who put it there in the chat, Len has no patience for this. You do not know how pissed this movie made me. Like, yeah, he gets yeah. no. And, pass and you from talked it. about Richard Pryor and his issues at this point, but just to contextualize Richard Pryor, this is 1975. 1974, he's in Uptown Saturday Night, mm. and yes, that's one scene, but it's a great scene. And in 1976, the year after this. He's in Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars in Motor King. So he's still becoming Richard. But I think he's pretty good in Bingo Long. No, he's very good in Bingo Long. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like it's not there. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. You know it's there. You know, and you can see to, to a degree. I don't know necessarily in that scene, but you can see to a, a very, 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 very small bit. That is there. And I would say you see that more so in his opening scene where he kind of rides mm -hmm. up on the stagecoach and rides the stagecoach. You see a little bit in, in, in there, you know? Um, yeah. But not much else the rest yeah. of the way. So, so would you recommend that people watch Adios Amigos, Vincent? I would not recommend that people watch Adios Amigo at all. I would, however, like to note that I watched it through the um, through the efforts of our friend Mike Dennis. Oh, really? In Real Black. In Real Black. And and if you if you love the Michelle Mission, I, I think you should make it your business to be familiar with Real Black. R e e l Black. Mm -hmm. And and his YouTube channel where he has a lot of these because this is out of print yeah 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 this is out of print and and i think mike has done a wonderful job because i went down a rabbit hole just looking at some of the films that he's curated over there so do not watch adios amigo but let that be your guide to real but black. but but let that be your entree into real black well done well done well there you go. That's good. That's good. And mm -hmm. I second that. That was my silver lining this afternoon. Exactly. And I second that, ladies and gentlemen. Don't watch Adios Amigos. Don't do it to yourself. Watch, but watch all of the films that, uh, check out the films that Real Black has. Appeared. So for the record, if you're keeping track, Lynn, we've not recommended one Western this month. 
Oh, wow. We didn't. Yeah, because we didn't recommend Thomasina Bushride, which would have been the, the one you would have thought that we would have recommended. You're right. Hmm. Well. And, and next week, as we bring it home. Tune in next week to see whether or not it's, we go four for four with our recommend, uh, our unrecommendations, ladies and gentlemen. But before you find out what we're watching next week, we invite you all to like and follow The Me Show Mission. Uh, like us on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe on our YouTube channel. You can find us at Me Show Mission. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N. You can also email all of your thoughts and, and concerns and your dirty rice recipes to me show mission <laughs> at gmail.com. Also go at our website, me show mission.com where your swag is where we've got all of our cool design and t-shirts brought to you by our good friends at T public. Also at the me show mission website, you can also become a subscriber to the me show mission dispatch, our weekly newsletter to all of our fans. The Michelle Mission is available as a proud member of The Podglomerate, curated podcast for your earbuds. Go to thepodglomerate.com. Um, and oh, and thank you to our friends at uh, Podglomerate because this week, Vince and I were very proud to learn that we are one of the featured podcasts for Black History Month on apple Podcasts, yeah yeah that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. awesome that is pretty pretty cool so thank you apple Podcasts, for recognizing the show and thank you podglomerate for all the hard work you do in promoting our show so that it yes gets out there to the people appreciate you the Michelle mission is also available as a radio show ladies and gentlemen in an edited form every saturday at 1 p.m on wppm 106.5 fm philly cam philly cam people power media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection and you can wake up with the Michelle mission every monday morning at 9 a.m on wkdu fm 91.7 the voice of drexel university all right, Vincent, next week, yeah. it's my turn. Yes, it is. And I'm going to bring it home, Vincent. All right. Yes, I am, with a Western from 1999. And it's a Western that because it is based on one of my absolute favorite TV series from when I was a kid, I made it my point to not see mm. <laughs> when it came out i did watch it a few years later but okay <laughs> but i didn't see it in the, in the in the film in the theaters and i watched it a few years later and i'll be very interested to to return to this film yeah yeah kevin klein mhm salma hayek uh-huh kenneth brogner Yes. And in the Shakespearean trained. What'd you say? I said a Shakespearean trained actor. Yes. Yes. And in the lead, Philly's own Will Smith. No, it is not the Fresh Prince of Tombstone, ladies and gentlemen. This film is, in <laughs> fact, Wild, Wild West from 1999. Yes, it is. Wow, this movie is already 20 years old. 
Jeez. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. It's crazy. Oh yeah. That will be our swan song for Black Westerns here in Black History Month on the Michelle Mission. Tune in next week. It promises to be fun. Until then, please, each and every one of you out there, in every one of our missionaries, please be safe. Please be well. And on a personal note, if I can say I 100% um, want to thank each and every one of you and Vincent. Um, I look forward to sitting down to talk to you, to you good people every single week and none more so than this week. And so I just want to thank you very much. This has been a true highlight uh, for my week. Thank you very much. Till next week. He's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.